My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 33 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. It is peak season for trail and mountain running, everybody, both home and abroad. Lots of great racing going on in Imre with the Morris Mullins and the juniors flying the flag in the British and Irish Junior Championships. The Seven Sisters Skyline happened recently. The Kerryway Ultra this weekend. Eco Trail Wicklow coming up. And this week we talked to the first Irish finisher in last week's UTMB in Chamonix, Irish ultra and trail running legend Ian Keat. Everybody, get your running gear on. Let's go. Welcome everybody to the show and I really hope you are enjoying your racing and your training at the moment and isn't it great to be getting closer and closer back to normality and with all the racing going on it is so important to get the recovery right as well so coming up shortly I'll be chatting with Rene Borg from runningcoach.ie about some important recovery strategies to help get you back training and racing as quickly as possible after a hard race. A big thank you to our Patreons who continue to support the show and those that have joined us over the last few weeks. Dan O'Keefe and Rachel Bennett a big welcome to the Trail Running Ireland podcast family and if anyone else would like to help the show it would be very much appreciated anything from three euros to six euro a month is all it takes to help keep us going and you can find out more on patreon.com Trail Running Ireland podcast again we will never put up paywalls for our content as our aim is to grow the sport of trail and mental running in Ireland in a fun and free way for all all of our listeners so guys let's get on with the show we hope to have some race results later on for you from Kerry and from the Morris Mullins but in the meantime let's call in our coaching guru Rene Borg Rene, great to have you back with us again. I mean, I hope you enjoyed watching some of the fantastic trail running on the continent there in Chamonix last week with so many Irish doing so well. And of course, this weekend, we've got some exciting trail running racing on home soil. Um, and I believe you have 14 athletes heading down to Kerry this weekend. Yeah, that's right. I've just got the tracker here in front of me, actually. Um, yes, yeah, as, as people probably know who follow the sport, you know, you can... All the different races use different trackers and Kerryway, they use the primal tracking system, which is one of the, the Irish companies that specialize in this. So uh, it'll be a good bit of fun. They, all, they start off tomorrow and we've got nine people in the full. And, and obviously on the ultra night starts, um, I think it's in the evening there and um, just around midnight. Um, and we only have only we only have one horse in that particular race. And then we have another four starting the, on the Saturday in the Kerryway ultra light. So obviously this year I'm not there myself, um, but I will be, it'll be kind of a long weekend, I think, Owen, of dot watching. Yeah, but well, we thought that the topic for this um, week's show, Renny, it could be a good one, especially for all those running in the Kerry Ultra. Maybe they could listen in on the way back home or as they're enjoying a, a slow, gentle jog or even a walk at some stage next week. And of course, for all the, the fantastic Irish runners who competed in UTMB, for example, as well. And the topic this week is 
tips for recovering after a big ultra race like that. I mean, we saw what the pros did in UTMB. Francois Dan, he had won hard with the Hard Rock 100 about six weeks before destroying the field in Chamonix last week. Um, even Courtney Dale Water, she did the Hard Rock 100 as well. She had some problems at it, but she was still able to recover and have an incredible result last week in Chamonix as well. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing what Ian Keith has to say on his recovery post his top Irish finisher run at the am um, last week as well. But even when he say from a coaching point of view, it'd be great if you could talk us through some good strategies for how to recover from such a race like the Kerryway Ultra. Yeah, I think it is a great topic because it is a little bit different to try and recover from a race like that um, than a lot of those kind of rules of thumb that we are used to. You know, if you've been in running for quite some time, you will you, or you may have encountered rules such as, you know, you should take one day off for every mile that you race, you know, so you have three easy days after 5k and you have six after um, a 10k, you know, and obviously you have nearly four weeks generally easy after a marathon and, and so on and so forth. But that obviously that kind of easy way of, of trying to figure out how, how long will it take me to shake this off? enough that it is safe to resume normal training it doesn't really work when you've been running you know for 100 miles because you don't take obviously 100 days off and you don't need to either um so i thought we can go into some of the rules of thumb that the experienced competitors have kind of developed that'll probably give you a ballpark idea but we'll also talk a little bit about what's the difference you know into what is actually different in terms of what these events do to the body because What's not so new is, you know, I think a lot of these recovery strategies we can explain to people here. Most of them, I imagine everyone listening will have heard of before uh, because there's not that much new under the sun, you know, when it comes to recovery. And so if you are a bit familiar, of course, if you're a novice, then it will be newer to you. If you are familiar with recovery strategies, you will probably have heard of a lot of the ones we mentioned. Uh, But it's more about how do you put them together for how long do you need to use them? When should you start? You know, does it start uh, straight away when you come home to the hotel room that same yeah. night? You know, and if, for instance, you know, the sort of questions you often get from athletes is, should you get a sports massage straight away, you know, after, or should I go straight home and, and do this or do that? So um, we can go into that a little bit or maybe about where the timing is, is best and also go into what does the practical experience and the research that's been done in ultra running show about what happens to ultra runners in the first few weeks after the race. Yeah, no, really looking forward to hearing what you what you have found, Renny, because I'm sure as much as maybe we would love to just sit on the couch and turn on Netflix for two or three days and not move, there probably is some benefit to continue to move and to move the body, to get the blood circulating, to flush out all the waste products in in the first couple of days after the race itself. So it's not a free pass just to lie down for a couple of days. No, it's not. And I made my first observation of this before I had looked into the the theory of it because I I did the Lakeland 50 miler a long time ago now. And in that race, I was not very well prepared in terms of training because I had been injured in the lead into the 50 miler. So I hadn't actually done a lot of running. Um, And you would think, you know, that would make the recovery even longer because obviously you don't have the same resistance to to the rigors of the race you know when you haven't gotten in all of the miles that that were needed 
Um, but after that, we, we happened to be on a hiking holiday, which meant that the very first day after, um, while my wife was out running in the mountains, I was hiking around town, you know, because we couldn't stay at home in the B&B, you know, they kicked you out after breakfast. So I noticed during that experience that, you know, as every day after that, I was walking a little bit more and being forced to be on my feet from day one after, rather than, as you say, lying on the couch, that really sped up the recovery, you know, and it was only four weeks later that kind of on a total whim, you know, and I probably wouldn't have planned this for, for someone else, but I entered a half marathon and I ran a PB, you know, so that showed that it was possible there to recover enough to get a peak performance in four weeks, as long as the recovery was active. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and at the same time, it was active, but it was not strenuous in any way. Yeah. And I'd say even from a, from a psychology point of view, any a mental point of view that a lot of us love our running. We like getting out every day and um, we do need to take a mental break after a race. We can't be thinking about running all year long. But I suppose we have to be careful to get that balance right between having a mental break. But maybe, you know, some of us still need that endorphin hit every day or we need to have a focus of a little bit of exercise every day. So it is OK, I think, from what you're saying, to maybe go for a walk, maybe to do an easy 20 minute jog in those couple of days afterwards, just to get outside, get a bit of fresh air and not be sitting down, as we're saying. Yeah, that's okay as long as you don't, as you didn't pick up, you know, uh, anything serious in the race. So that's obviously, for, if, if you do go for that strategy, that you want to start a few walks and jogs uh, for the first two weeks after, which is what I generally call the recovery phase. So I like to split it. So I say the first two weeks we call recovery phase and the next two weeks after, so week three and four, we call that the rebuild phase. And that's just kind of to emphasize that at that stage from week three onwards, we try and become a little bit more active in our approach to resetting the body because that's what that whole month after is all about it's about trying to undo anything negative that happened during the ultra and bring the body at least back to where it was before and yeah. you know so but what you do need to you need to be very mentally flexible there and see how do i feel when i go for these walks uh, and runs and obviously if there is a pain there that is altering your gait you know it's quite significant then use a different modality and you know by that i mean then go swimming or cycling or just do some mobility and exercises in your house um, or very very easy walking if you can do that you know wh whatever it is um but be mentally flexible you know don't set it in stone you know and in fact i prefer for the first two weeks even with people that work with us i don't put any runs in the schedule for the first two weeks yeah you, you remove the structured part of it yeah, exactly. And that's part of the mental break as well that you mentioned there to make sure that I want to take people away from the idea that there is something they need to go and look at in the calendar. And if it's there, they have to do it. That's gone. You know, the commitment to running is, a, is on pause. Yeah. And I know you mentioned there just briefly beforehand about maybe not getting a massage in the or a very deep or strong massage in the day or two after the event because of just how sensitive the muscles are. But I might just add in the maybe not get a deep heavy massage but maybe just look after all those little skin problems that you might have picked up along the way like blisters be kind to your feet any little cuts or scrapes that you got as well make sure that they're all cleaned up before you get running again and you don't develop any little infections or any discomfort when you're running 
Yeah, it's kind of part of undoing the the imprint of the race, you know, and it's very noticeable when it's things like, you know, hard skin or blisters, which, you know, if, if left untreated, obviously you can start to alter your gait because you, even if it's subconscious, you try to land less on the spots that are a little bit sore. And, yeah. and, that, and that can be very benign and harmless for the first few weeks, but it, it can then kind of become like a snowball effect. Um, especially because there's many other things that will be going on with your system. So if we look at, you know, the effects of ultra running, um, it's a little bit different than when you run a 5K um, and even a marathon in that in those races, the main problem is that metabolically, it's very stressful for the body. And that means the body needs to basically process a lot of waste products to try and bring itself back to normal. And if you don't do that, you can be left, you know, with overtraining syndrome and, you know, nervous system fatigue and all these things. And, but in the, in the ultra, even more than in the marathon, there's a lot of damage to the muscles and the joints, you know, and all the kind of connective tissue. Mm. And that needs to be reset, but there, and there's also much more strain on certain organs, you know, so there's, it's actually shown that you have reduced kidney and sometimes liver function for a few days after the race. Now, that's all it is, you know, so people don't need to be alarmed by this, but it, it is a few days after race. And it probably has to do just with the pure amount of, um, even if you don't eat much, you know, as, um, as you, we were talking before the call is, as some ultra runners don't do, uh, your body still has to metabolize its own energy. So that there's a huge amount of things that have to go through your organs uh, and that leaves them basically fatigued afterwards. So. Yeah. Um, I, I might with... just interrupt you for a second, Renny, and tell you yeah, just sure. a brief story about a friend of mine here in the Canary Islands who did his first ultra, the Trans Grand Canaria. And I was helping him around the course. And as we got towards the end and towards the finish line, I noticed his skin begin to go yellow. And I think that's something to do with, yeah, just the kidneys being just overpressurized, overworked with that waste going through them. And literally it was causing a yellowness of a skin. Maybe you might know the medical term for it. I'm not too sure, um, but it only happened them once. And that was in his first ultra. So maybe yeah, I'm quite familiar with that Owen because I have Gilbert syndrome, which is um, it's not a <laughs> disease, but it's, um, it's just a slightly different liver function. It has some benefits and it has some drawbacks to the people okay. who have it. But yeah, we get yellow skinned if there is a lot of activity um, demanded of our liver. So I've, I've seen it a few times and it can be a bit alarming because you might get the idea that you're getting some kind of hepatitis. Yeah, but um, I mean, he recovered very quickly that day. It was just literally in the last couple of kilometers and then in the hours, initially the hour or two afterwards. And then once he just got his body relaxed and liquids going through, he, he was fine then. But yeah, it, it was very odd to see. Very strange. Yeah, and there's other scary things that happen. You know, I've seen people who basically they went for a pee in the ultra and suddenly there was blood coming out and they might get the idea that there's something seriously wrong with the organs. But most of the time, it's a very harmless condition that is caused by basically it's too much rubbing internally. I forget the exact uh, anatomy that's involved, but it looks very alarming because your pee is suddenly bright red, like you've eaten, you know, beetroot. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's actually yeah. nothing. It's just a sign that you're a little bit dehydrated yeah and, and you need and, to you, you need to look after that so um if you're otherwise feeling well and you encounter something like that don't be don't be too too shook um but yeah back to recovery maybe so the you could say first of all all the standard recovery tactics apply which is to summarize it is to make sure that 
you know, you can't speed up really the body's processes, but you can make sure you don't slow them down. That's the best way to look at it. So things that will slow them down would be bad food, uh, too much alcohol. You know, a lot of, a lot of people want a beer or two after an ultra, you know, I'm, I'm not going to stop them. <laughs> but obviously, if you go for a raft of pints afterwards, it is going to slow down your recovery. You know, there's <laughs> yeah, no yeah. way around that. Yeah. Um, not dehydrating properly and um, being too inactive, right? So just lying, going home with the hotel and just lying down dead for 24 hours. Um, yeah. Not eating proper food with enough nutrients you know so if you just go and you have a big meal of junk food uh, with very little uh, nuance to it that'll slow down your recovery not sleeping well in the weeks after will slow down recovery you know so it's a a bad combination you could imagine would be if you go straight from an ultra and straight back to let's say the most stressful part of your working period if you're so unlucky and that would not be ideal um, and similarly, you know, as we talked about on the sleep podcast, if you feel you can't sleep properly the first night because you've chucked down so many caffeine supplements and, and other things during the ultra and the adrenaline is still in the body, maybe consider, could you get a melatonin um, supplement or something along those lines, you know, something that, that helps calm you down and yeah. make sure, you, make sure yeah. your hotel is not a party hotel, you know, with a wedding going on just below you. The, the sleep one is key, right? isn't it? Like if you can get your eight to 10 hours and maybe even if you don't sleep for say the full eight hours, nine hours that you're lying in bed, you, you know, if you're still actually lying down maybe 45 minutes before you fall to sleep, your body will still get so much benefit from a good sleep routine. And I know from doing just a little bit of sleep research myself over the last week or two, that sticking to routines as well, you know, trying not to upset the body clock and trying not to have big lions either, you know, go to bed at your normal time, get up at your normal time, really optimize your sleep quality, avoiding the phones and tablets at night time, And that will allow the body to release all those hormones that are essential for repairing the muscles, keeping the immune system strong, because the immune system will get a big whack as well um, after such a race. Yeah, there's a good statistic that has gone the rounds a lot online, which is from a study, uh, which was quite large, where they showed that 68% of ultra runners uh, get an upper respiratory tract infection or symptoms similar to that, you know, so like cold symptoms in the two weeks after their ultra, you know, so that's nearly two out of three. Um, and of course, the part of the reason for that is that you're putting huge metabolic demand and stress in general on the body. Now, what does that do? Well, it creates a lot of dead cells in your body, you know, because mm. a lot of cells will die in this process. And secondly, you are also putting um, a lot of, as you say, waste products through the system. So the body needs to get rid of these. Um, And a lot of them are what's called free radicals, which a lot of people are probably familiar with, you know, and free radicals are like things that just kind of ping around your body and they knock into your DNA and they break it. And um, it it basically hastens the aging process. But in small doses, free radicals are good because they help trigger a lot of the sort of adaptations you're looking for. So there's a few things we can learn from that. The first is that there's a lot of dead cells and waste in your body. It needs to get out. So anything you, first of all, so don't put a huge additional burden on the body because it needs to get all this out and that's part of the reason you actually have these cold symptoms or flu symptoms because the body can only get rid of such things through respiration uh, perspiration 
right? So by it has to basically come out through your nose or mouth or your sweat or your, uh, what would you say, also your traditional elimination processes, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you have to be aware of that, that that's actually what's going on with you. You know, your body is reacting to this huge stress. It has all this junk inside and it needs to get it out. Uh, what you can do to reduce the amount of dead cells is you can, when you eat a healthy diet, you will get more of what's called antioxidants, as most people know as well. That reduces the amount of damage done by the free radicals. And a very good and easy one there is, of course, just take a boatload of vitamin C yeah. um, around the race and especially straight after, because vitamin C is like a shield of armor on the inside of the body. It's really good at soaking up free radicals. And it's also very good for, for various reasons. You know, it's kind of a complicated uh, vitamin, but it helps with a lot of these elimination processes. It, it aids them. So, you know, that, that's a very simple way. And, and of course, beyond that, just eat a little bit cleaner once you're in immediate party and celebration is over because that's what your body needs then. You know, in a way, you nearly need to treat yourself as if you were just sick you know, and you want to return <laughs> yeah. yourself to, f to full health because that's kind of where you're at, even if you don't feel it. Yeah, and, and I'm sure, you know, just at the end of the day, most of us, we love our running. We really enjoy it. And we don't want to be, you know, so much badly damaged after a big run or a big race that we're out for weeks and weeks. So all, all these little tips, they will get us back running and training quicker. I might just summarize them quickly, Rene. And if I leave anything out here before we go, we can just remind the audience again. Um, so I've got pretty much no runs over maybe 20 minutes in the first week or so. Then in week two and week three, we can be, begin to build up gradually towards 50 minutes, 60 minutes, but all very, very easy. No structured training, as you said. Important to focus on good sleep. If we can, eight to 10 hours every night. Lots of good food. Great tip on vitamin C, as you said there let's take care of our, our skin any little blisters and um, scrapes or cuts address any injuries that we might have picked up first do not go back running in pain um, and then as well maybe just stop running for a couple of uh, stop thinking about running for a couple of days at least and maybe give the brain and the mind something else to focus on um, is that a fair enough summary Rennie was there anything else you wanted to add in as people are hopefully listening in after a successful carry ultra you know, there was only one thing we didn't touch on, which is uh, just something called strength recovery. And very, very quickly, all you need to do is bring a little mini band or, you know, a bicycle tube or something like that. Um, and when you come back to the hotel room or wherever you're staying, uh, wrap it around, you know, your, your foot and your ankles and things. Like that, and just uh, let all of your muscles work them all through, you know, the hamstrings, the calves, the quads about 10 30 repetitions against this light resistance and do that every day uh, for a week or two it's it, the type of exercises you're looking for is very similar to what your physio would give you when you're injured because you, you are actually kind of injured because your muscles will be very traumatized you know by by that level of event this technique is called strength recovery and you can search for it online as well and um, it's just a way to normalize the muscles and actually teach them to relax again by working them through what's called, you know, a concentric muscle action. And most people are familiar with that. It's kind of the traditional way of training muscles in the gym. You know, so if you lift up a barbell with your hand, you just or a dumbbell and you just stand and lift it up and down. It, that, that's a concentric exercise. So um, that sort of it's, I, I tend to try and do that um, for most races, even even for shorter races, just in the evening on the couch, wrap the band around, just work 
something that gives a bit of resistance to the muscles that I think are a little bit too tight, you know, and they're giving me a little bit of pain, a bit of grief, and that'll really help. And it should give you much better walking the next day. Great. Great tip to finish off that segment, Rennie. And I might put maybe an idea down for our next chat because I know there's a lot of different thoughts from different coaches around the world on, on what we do then once that kind of two or three week rest and recovery period is over. Do we go back into a big base building period of weeks and weeks of anaerobic training or do we kind of let loose a little bit and enjoy lots of fast 5Ks, 10Ks, and then we get the benefit long-term from that speed work as well because of all the strength that we've accumulated from our long ultra training. So maybe we could pencil that one in for the next shot. Yeah, I think that would be good. Yeah, that's a good topic. And it's actually kind of the part of the season we're coming into now. Great. Okay, well, Mr. Randy, enjoy um, your spot watching over the weekend and hopefully all 14 of the guys go well. Fingers crossed. Okay, take take care and talk to you soon. For our feature interview this week, it is a real pleasure to welcome back to the show our very first guest on the podcast, Irish ultra and trail running legend Ian Keat. He needs no introduction from many, but for those that might be relatively new to the sport, he holds the Irish records for 24-hour running, 248 kilometers, 48-hour road running, 343 kilometers, and six-day running, 815, along with many more course records for Irish ultra distances. He holds the world record for the fastest crossing of Ireland on foot, running from Mizzenhead to Malinhead in three days, three hours and 47 minutes in May 2017. His best race results, and he's a fantastic competitor, are finishing fifth in the 24-hour World Championships in Bergamo in 2009, finishing as second place um, Vet 40 in the 2013 UTMB, finishing second in the six-day World Trophy in Hungary in 2015, and winning the spine race in 2016, setting a new course record. In 2019, he won the extremely tough and technical 170k UTMB Oman race, where I was very lucky to be at the working at the finish line as he came home champion. And recently, he won the summer spine race, setting a new fastest time as well. He is a multiple winner of the Irish 24-hour running championships and has been awarded the Athletics Ireland Ultra Runner of the year on four occasions the only person to win this award more than once imagine the trophy cabinet in that household Ian Keat first Irish finisher home in the 2021 UTMB Ian you are our very first guest on the Trail Running Ireland podcast so a real privilege to welcome you back it's a real privilege to be back and uh, an honour to be the second or the first repeater. <laughs> yeah, well, Ian, you were the first Irishman home, coming home there on Saturday night. And what a wonderful experience it was to, to see you charge home. And, and we'll, we'll talk about the race now very shortly. But I thought maybe we could start off today, Ian, by just asking you about your recovery since Saturday, because there's a lot of big trail and ultra races coming up at home now in Ireland. Kerry Ultra this weekend. Eco Trail, Wicklow at the end of the month. And I'm sure a lot of people will be doing their own UTMBs and they would love to know your own secrets of recovery because you've been doing it so well for so long now. So maybe, could, could you talk us through 
your recovery process and what you what you've been doing since Saturday night, apart from the the rush to the Thai restaurant um, once you got <laughs> to the finish line and you and you were thrown into a wheelchair. Yeah, um, uh, recovery is an interesting thing. Uh, the first thing is you, you have to know yourself. No one can tell you what the best way for you to recover. It's a very individual thing, and you know there's a lot of sort of. Uh, ready reckoner rules out there in the running world that would I can't remember them exactly because I know for something like the UTMB they probably tell you that you need half a year to recover whereas I've actually managed to race uh, three big ultras in six weeks you know with two weeks uh, um, separating them so you can you can have very quick recovery sometimes um, more than most people would anticipate and then sometimes, you know, you just don't feel it. A race, a race might take it more out of you than you expected. So I get different recoveries for different races, uh, not necessarily related to the length of the race, uh, or, but usually related in some way to the, the, the degree of effort that you put into the race. I know that the last time I did the UTMB, I ended up with a one-kilometer sprint finish uh, down through the town. And that really destroyed me for the next 24, 48 hours, just that last kilometer. Whereas uh, this year I didn't have that and I was in much better shape. So I was actually make it to the Thai restaurant, which I wasn't able to do the previous time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so ba- basically I've been doing very little since. Yeah. So in terms of say nutrition, you know, I mean, would you, would you go to the trouble of watching what you eat in terms of anti-inflammatory foods would you be, you know, sleeping more in the days after, getting massages? Or, or is it just kind of life as usual and just tone down the energy levels a bit? And I presume the, the training comes right back as well. Yeah, it's it's pretty much aiming towards life as usual, but, you know, allowing a, a lot more rest as in, uh, yeah, I, I, I now give myself a couple of days off from, from training completely, which is easy when it's a foreign trip like that because you just, you know, you've got to make the journey home. So I don't restart exercise till I get home. Um, and I only restarted uh, the, the Wednesday today, as it happens, uh, afterwards uh, for this particular race. Um in terms of nutrition, I try and eat well and try not to overeat, but I still allow myself you know, some comfort foods just for the sheer pleasure of it, having earned it. So, uh, you know, didn't deprive myself of any ice cream there. Uh, but I do still try and keep the, the quality, you know, relatively normal. I, I do try and eat pretty good quality food and, and as little junk as I can get away with. Uh, there's a temptation to, to eat away all the race food and I try and get that put away as fast as possible so that uh, there's none left to, to eat because there is a, a, a I think the body does tend to rebound uh, and try and grab in um, more calories after a big expenditure like that so I have to be kind of disciplined not to end up heavier a week later than before you started the race so just have to watch that and not overeat in the in the few days afterwards and just try and keep it a little bit controlled but you know you don't need to don't need to go mad as i say as normal as possible in my case what i aim for i'm definitely back to my normal eating habits pretty pretty quickly yeah so i mean today before the race when people were talking about maybe who the potential winner could be you know, everybody was looking at Francois de Hen, who, of course, had that wonderful victory on Saturday afternoon. But people maybe would have had question marks that he won the Hard Rock 100 only six weeks before and yeah. could he cover. So it sounds like from somebody in the know like yourself that w- would you have thought that Francois 
would have been able to recover okay and that he would have been one of the key favourites for the race because I wasn't sure if he could recover from such a physical effort. But it sounds like, you know, experienced runners in the ultra community in that you guys know what you're doing and you know how to manage your recovery very well like Francois did. Yeah, and if I was Francois, I'd be, I'd be as soon as I'd finish Hard Rock, I would say to myself, well, that's a great training one for UTMP. And okay. six week out is a good good pacing for a good a hard effort training run, even though you know in reality it wasn't a training run. But you know, uh, as as they all say, as Ron Key would say, you're also looking forward. You don't rest in your laurels. So once the the hard rock is out of the way, hard rock has now been preparation for UTMB, and that's the way I I if I was him, I'd have mentally attacked it, and I've no doubt that a man of his ability would. Have, be on exactly that approach and if you think about it a good good hard run six weeks before your your key race is uh, yeah that's a good training program and that's the way i looked at it so i didn't see any problem with that and you know I've, I've i've done the same myself on many occasions and that's always the way i do it you know even if it was a harder event i'd still look at it like for example the time i did uh my run from uh, Mizzen to Manon, uh, two months or about two months before the uh, World 24 Hour Running Championships. And uh, most people would have said that was way too big an effort. That would destroy you for a long time. But I thought personally that that was perfect timing. And, and so it turned out to be because I ran my PB on that race. So you know yourself, you know how what you're capable of and what your recovery is. I, I seem to myself have fast recoveries, but then I know that and I can allow for it, but I'm still not as fast recovering as I was when I was younger, where I could race an ultra on a, on a weekend and run a, a number of Wednesday night race on the following Wednesday and be pretty much back, almost back to full speed. I wouldn't do that these days, but I wouldn't be far off it. I would still okay. consider myself fairly recovered after about two weeks. So I will, in my own case, intend to race um, the Eco Trail in Wicklow, which is uh, about three weeks away at this date. So yeah, and exactly. I I'll be fully, yeah. fully ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, again, um, the way I'd be looking at it. Yeah, fantastic. And before Ian, we get to your own um, race and your own adventure and battle that you had for, for the podium in, in the V2 category, the, the week itself, of course, was marked by the tragedy of the Czech runner who fell and passed away in the TDS. A, a really, really sad moment when he suffered from the injuries that he picked up after falling on the steep descent from Passur de Praulog Nan. In, in, from your experience, mountaineer background, I'm very interested just to know what your own thoughts on what happened was and um, how the organization dealt with it, because I know I have, say, my views on it, but I realize that I'm maybe not a true mountaineer and adventurer like you are, a city boy from Dublin who, who wouldn't be exposed to, to such accidents. And for me, it was really impactful. And for myself and the team that were working on the race announcer team, we all really felt it that morning when we woke up to that news. But for, for yourself, Ian, how did you feel? And I know you were with some of the Irish TDS runners in the 24 hours after the race. Um, what was your own take on, on what happened? Yeah, I think I definitely have a more uh, mountaineers uh, type approach to the right, which is, you know, you are responsible for your own. Um, when you go into the mountains, you're responsible for your own safety. And even if you're in a race, fundamentally, that doesn't matter. You're, you are still the number one person responsible for your own safety. 
um, you uh, have to take the consequences of that responsibility as well. So um, it, it sounds harsh, but I've been there you know, uh, in a very real way. Uh, a friend of mine was killed mountaineering right in front of me. Um, so I very much know what this is all about and what it's like and being right in the middle of the process. Um, but my own point of view is I think the race did pretty well on handling it. Uh, they were never going to win. There's no good way of doing this because you're dealing with a tragedy and you can't walk around that, you know, uh, you can't make it better. You can only try and move on in the best manner you can. And no matter what you do, someone, you know, especially when you're dealing with uh, a thousand people up on a mountain, someone is going to, a lot of people are going to be unhappy with uh, the decisions you make because there, there is no optimal decision. There is no right decision. There may be optimal, but there's mm. no right decision. There's, and what's right to some people will be wrong to others. Um, you, you can't stop a race because someone gets injured because people get injured in every race. Um, if, do you stop a race because someone gets killed? <laughs> you know, it's you'll get a lot of opinions on it. And again, you get people disagreeing. I know in, in from my own, if it was me that was lying dead on the side of the mountain, I would want people to, to carry on racing and, you know, do their best, you know, and, and have their best race and, 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 you know, not worry about the fact that I was there. But, you know, you have other people who, who would say that, uh, the, you know, the race should come to a complete stop. There is yeah. no right answer, you know, and yeah. it's yeah. tough. And the rates can only do what they can do. And um, yeah, the, as I say, I, I, I would, I would say, or on the side of the YouTube, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even go looking for a better solution to what the UTMB did. They did what they did, and they did what they thought right was right. Uh, they'll take the criticism from people who think they could have done better, but you know, they had to make rather quick decisions on the fly and, and did the best they could and that's all they can really ask from as far as yeah and and i was actually close within an eardrop of some of those conversations Ian, as we were getting ready for the start of the occ the next day and the people that were making the decisions you know they live and they have lived in chamonix all their lives so they probably do have a different approach um to you know city folk like myself if you like um and I was just doing some research before we came on the call today and just looking at some of the stats. And unfortunately, people die in Chamonix all the time. And all on the time. Blanc alone, yeah. I mean, yeah. over 1,500 people have died in Mont Blanc. And in Chamonix, between paragliding, hiking, mountaineering, mountain bikes, quad bikes, the stats are actually scary. And I saw one stat, Ian, alone of in July last year on one day, seven people died in the Chamonix area. Yeah. And it's, so, it's no surprise. It's, it's, part of, it's part of the risk reward, you know. And, you know, if you go into the mountains, you, you don't go without risk, you know. And, yeah. you know, in the case of, of my friend who was killed, it was a simple slip. It wasn't anything dramatic, you know. It's just he, 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 he lost his grip on the rock at, at the wrong time and was unable to recover. And yeah, as a result, you know, it's it's simple things, and sometimes there's no amount of being an expert won't save you from the simple things. Sometimes, you know, yeah, Some of the, the best Ireland's greatest mountaineer died on a mountain. You know, there's there's but uh, 
you know, it's a risk you take. And you, the key thing is you going in knowing these risks and trying to, to minimize them, but be prepared. You know, that was the big, uh, for me, the big, the big learnings from this and from the Chinese incident is to be prepared. You know, don't skimp on your gear. Uh, the Chinese guys were skipping on the gear and they, they were not prepared. They, they didn't really understand the environment they were getting into and what the environment could do to them. And as a result, they didn't, whatever the race rules say, they didn't have enough gear themselves. And in the end, it's your own responsibility to say to look after yourself. Um, yeah. You know, the, the hardest race I've ever done is the Barclay Marathons, and there is no kit list for the Barclay Marathons. You're expected to be uh, fully responsible for yourself that Laz is not going to tell you what gear you should bring. Laz is only going to tell you what gear you can't bring, which is electronic aids. You're expected yeah. to have enough knowledge and understanding of the environment you're going into to look after yourself. And also the knowledge that if you go on for 24 hours, they might think about sending someone to look for you, but it's expected <laughs> you'll be out there on your own, you know? Um, and that that's the kind of approach anyone should take in going to mountains. A lot of people see me running around the hills in Dublin here and this big rucksack uh, with me. And I, I jokingly often say, yeah, well, I have enough gear to survive the blizzard in, in the rucksack and it's the middle of summer, but I do actually have enough gear to survive the blizzard. Uh, because I'm in the mountains and, you know, I could trip, I could have a simple fall and break a hip and be stuck there uh, and, you know, smash my phone on the way down. So, you know, I, I want to be able to, you know, live, live to tell the tale if that happens or at least have enough gear that I give myself a sporting chance of living to tell the tale. So you do have to take this responsibility even in, you know, simple mountains like Ireland, uh, but are actually probably as likely to kill you as the Alps because the environment in Ireland is so uh, wet that uh, you can get hypothermia extremely quickly any time of year. So... You know, it's something you do have to take on board. It's 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 a playground, but it's not a safe playground. You know. Yeah, um, and I suppose maybe the the fact that that was the first tragedy in seventeen editions of the race is a testament to the to the safety that is normally there year in year out. So yes, absolutely, and it's it's certainly not the first uh, the the first race I've been in where where um, you know that that. So, so say the Tour de Gaunt, someone was killed in, in the relatively early years in Tour de Gaunt, again, in a very simple circumstance, nothing dramatic, uh, yeah. a simple slip. Uh, these things happen and, you know, they will always happen just because uh, the law of averages. I think the UTMB, is, it's amazing that they got, it, they've managed to go for so long, given that it's 10,000 runners per year, uh, many of whom are possibly uh, pushing a bit beyond uh, their their abilities and their knowledge of the mountains that they've got away for so long without something like this happening is actually a testament to how well organised it has been. Uh, yeah, and, and I suppose there, there was a touching moment, um, I think, just before the start of the UTMB where a friend of the Czech runner addressed yeah. UTMB runners and wished everybody well. Um, and then before the start of, I think, the OCC the following morning, there was a minute of applause before the start of all the races as well. So there were some nice touches. Um, and, I, and they I, also I, included maybe, some of the other uh, ultra runners who, uh, who have died in recent times as well at the start of the UTMB. Yes. like Emma Rocco, which was very nice. I thought that was a good touch, not, not just to focus yeah, on the one, but, exactly. but to bring in everyone in the entire community like that was good. Very nice. Yeah, and maybe just on the flip side then as well, Ian, I was a little bit disappointed, I must admit, to, 
to see all the, the photographs going up in the hours after the tragedy of all the winners crossing the finish line and all the Instagram posts and Facebook posts. I thought maybe a little bit insensitive there and they could have maybe had a bit of a social media blackout on the on the on the podium finishers as they were coming through but it's it's a tough call that one again yeah. i was actually hoping as as i knew what was going on and i knew that the winners had proceeded beyond it you know the, or the, the leaders were proceeding beyond it and possibly had not known i was actually hoping that no one would tell them that they could yeah. you know go 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 finish their race without without having to make any questions about that what should i do and so on because those are those are not things you're you expect to have to deal with in the middle of what is a very arduous race in the first place uh, you know and to have that thrown on top then it's, it's it just throws the whole thing into into an entirely different perspective so i i, I don't know what actually happened and how they found out and so on but yeah. uh, and, and before know. we move off the topic in a, a big shout out to the fantastic eva eva mundo who stormed through the field who got through the the tragic moments and um, during the middle of the night and managed to hang in there and did really really well they, they get to the finish in, in tds and great strength great determination from from one of ireland's leading ladies yeah i mean she's just an incredible runner and she's come on so much in the last few years it's been fantastic to see you know and, and she's uh, she's at this stage without doubt ireland's greatest ever female ultra runner you know it's it's uh phenomenal because she, she's not just doing it in one sphere she's doing it uh on the mountain she's doing she's got the 24-hour record it's it's very impressive very impressive so uh, and the thing is she'll get better you know she's still learning so <laughs> we'll, let's, let's see how far she can go it's, it's great to watch i have to say yeah um, maybe looking forward to talking to Ethan maybe over the coming weeks and and moving on to your own racing because again such a wonderful race and adventure that the, that you had um you finished in a fantastic 60th position in 28 hours and four minutes but really interestingly, you went through the second checkpoint after the start in 204th, just yeah. after around two hours into the race. And it, look, it looks like you made a big move in the next few hours, moving up 100 places to La Bam. So maybe just the first question that I have is, tell us about how it felt running out of Chamonix and that unique UTMB experience, of course. And then, yeah, how you made that big jump of 100 places um, around the five-hour mark. Um, how, what was your strategy in that part of the race? As an overall race strategy, really, was to make sure to do the first time very within myself and very steady, because I think the big mistake that most people have to make in the UTMB is just heading out too fast. And it's, it's a double trap, the UTMB, and that you start with this... Everyone is absolutely fired up by the amazing start line experience, which is just the best start line experience I've ever had in any race. Uh, and they did it again this year. With the, they had the, uh, the, the slack line uh, walker above our heads just to add to another piece of uh, innovation to it. It was incredible, wasn't it? I was looking at it going, oh my God, wow, yeah. Yeah, and that worked. And as usual, I was all pretty calm until the Van Gallis music starts. And when the Van Gallis music starts, I I really get I fire myself up on that one because I've always been a huge Van Gallis fan to begin with. Uh, but that music in that context is just ah, 
it's just something else that's brilliant and then you run out to the streets and it's four or five deep with people cheering for a kilometer or two it's just amazing uh, but I was making sure, again, to hold back, ease off. I was actually just, as I was running out to the streets, I was looking down at the heels of the guy in front of me, just following on, making sure not to trip and not to do, not to go too fast, not to try overtaking, you know, just relax, 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 relax on the downhill out of Chamonix and relax into the flat and stay relaxed running along. But, but what feels like a flat 10K section, but is actually slightly downhill and, and keep it all controlled. And that's what I was at, you know, and uh, I was expecting to be overtaken by some of the, the faster Irish lads coming up behind me, but uh, uh, didn't. Gavin did draw level at me before he started injecting gear from his rucksack and had to stop. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. but that was it in terms of Irish lads uh, uh, catching me. So that was it. And then the first line, um, I was rather than try and run at all, which I would have done in my early days, I was more determined that I, I would default to walking and run the bits I felt were more energy efficient to run, which isn't that many in the first line because it's it's a long enough climb. And that was the strategy. And that, you know, anyone who overtook me, overtook me, that was fine. Uh, and again, but with a good race strategy, you already start to overtake people who've done the flat bit a bit too fast, you know. And I think I ended up in the same position uh, coming down. I, if the, at the end of the first descent, as I was at the top of the first descent, between all the overtaking back and forth and so on, just ended up pretty neutral in the end, with, with very little effort on my behalf to, to maintain position or anything like that. Because again, the first descent is another sort of trap. In the past, I've uh, done myself uh, some damage on the first descent, long-term damage, not, uh, just by trying to run it too hard and too fast. So it's just... Staying within myself, keep it easy, keep me back. And then through the first aid station, uh, I've run out, second aid station, actually, sorry. Uh, um, it's, uh, I've, I've run so easy to that point that I can just run straight through the aid station, same as the first one. So you gain people by just not stopping. Yeah, <laughs> that's the simplest way in the world to get to gain on people. They stop at the aid station, you don't. Yeah, and as, yeah. as you move through the night then, in I mean, how do you manage those tough hours during the night? Um, is Helen there with you at the aid stations um, helping you along the way? Not in this case, no. Um, the, um, I, Le Contamine is one of the key ones in the, the first half as far as aid station support is concerned. And I, it's very nice to have a support person there if the weather is bad. But the weather was good this year, so uh, no need for a support person and uh so helen and it's a very hard one to get to so uh helen didn't need to come there which is great for both of us and again i went through very fast that aid station you know just taking grabbing a cup of coke and then walking out and drinking the coke on the walkout so my actual stop time at the aid station was very short indeed and i would have overtaken a ton of people in that aid station because there's so many support crew in that aid station anyone there with support crew who was in there before me and still there i was all taking them so I, I guess i would have taken 20 or 30 people just on that aid station alone and then you know yeah yeah you just run out and you keep it steady you know so that it's at this stage in a race even that early that you start getting the benefits of running the first up and down nice and steady because people who've run it too fast are starting to feel the effects and uh i'm not basically i'm just still running my steady pace and then it ramps up to a rather long climb uh 
up to uh, uh, Le Bam, isn't it? Which, uh, you know, it gets very steep very fast. And uh, yeah, I, just by power marching, I was able to, you know, overtake one or two other people. And the good thing is nobody's overtaking me at this point. So that's, you know, it's starting to settle in to the point where I'm, I'm you know, it's turned from not holding steady, but just slowly taking people back bit by bit by bit. Um, but I wasn't really worried about position, more uh, effort levels and pacing and keeping myself moving. What I found in the past is that second big climb uh, can be the one where the us poor Paddy suffered badly from altitude. Uh, mm. first, first one, he seems to get over fine. The second one is where you start feeling, why, why is everyone else overtaking me? Why do I feel so out of breath compared to all these guys around me? And uh, it's usually, you know, the altitude. But I'd, I'd actually come out slightly earlier this year and I'd done, gone up in the cable cars for a couple of days and then run down for a bit of exercise, which is, you know, easy going because you're running downhill and uphill, but getting as high as I can up the cable cars to get some amount of altitude to climatization. Not a lot, but better than nothing. And yeah. it seemed it seemed to pay off this year because I was actually whereas last year I was suffering going up that second time. This year I was actually marching up quite happily and well, managed yeah. to hold, hold my position rather than lose positions, which I had been doing previously, which is great. Yeah. You know? yeah. For for people listening in, I mean that maybe wouldn't have the same experience as yourself that are just new to the sport and learning. Is there a specific nutritional strategy that you have? Um, is it like a road marathon where you're taking, say, you know, Morton gels every 30 minutes? Are you constantly refueling right throughout? And what's your go-to foods? Is it carbohydrates? Is it fat-based? Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I try to, to fat-burn. Uh, so my favorite food is no food. Uh, Eat, wow. eat nothing would be the preference. Um, wow, incredible. Uh, so uh, I can tell you what I rate over the course of the race because it's, it's pretty pretty easy. Uh, outside of aid stations, I ate one Snickers bar. That was it. Uh, and that was, uh, I can't remember why, but I just decided to give myself up at some point and that was just decided, oh yeah, I'll have a Snickers bar just for a bit of enjoyment. And that was that. So, <laughs> I, I, I had a lot more with me uh, well, not a lot more. I had a bit more with me, you know, one or two bars. I had a, I'd make my own flapjacks. So I, I had, there was tons of flapjacks available in drop bags and so on. But uh, I didn't actually eat any during the race. That would have been the most energy. If, uh, the nearest I would have had to energy food would have been in my homemade flapjacks, which are incredible. Nuts and, and I presume that's just, that's just after years of running fasted. At weekends, yeah, journey, yeah, exactly. And just it's, years of adaptation. Yeah, adaptation. It takes, you know, it takes a minimum of six months to to get an adaptation. It's like you know, doing any training. You know, you can't you can't decide you run a marathon and run it two weeks later. You have to train for uh for a couple of months to get your body and adapted to the point where you can handle the stress. Same with um fat burning you're not going to pick it up instantly you can't decide i'll do that for next week's race or a race in two weeks you need to spend uh at least six months you know trying to teach your body to burn fat better and the way i do it it's pretty simple you know i just i never eat on a training run or uh mostly i never drink uh i'd have water on really hot days that's about it uh and that tends that tends to be three or four days a year or, yeah. or every day when I'm in your hometown in the Canaries. Uh, but, 
uh, never eat uh, on training runs and try, uh, especially the weekends, try and go uh, in a fast state. Now, there's a lot of running theory will tell you that's not a good idea and it doesn't work, but I find it works for me. And okay. uh, the end result is um, uh, I, I can I can do these races. I've run 24. I've won 24 hour races without eating at all. Uh, you know, I've, I've run for a couple of days in, in six day races without eating much. And, you know, as I say, with UTMB on the course, just one one Snickers bar and at aid stations, I was just the only food I had was uh, bits of fruit here and there. Uh, I don't think I did more than that at the aid stations so well, well, i hope the fat packs didn't go to waste in and you had yeah. for your breakfast the next day at least oh they're After very tasty when you're flying <laughs> yeah yeah well it, as i said it, it's a strategy that does work for you and i know nutrition is very individual as well but at so. this stage it, it's proven that it works and you did you you defended 60th position for about what the last seven hours or so you were yeah. defending defending that 60th position and um, i'm not too sure when you found out or when you realized that you were in silver medal position in the v2 vet category and you are being hunted for the hold of saturday afternoon from what from 2 p.m until the finish line at 9 p.m so when did you find out that you were in the second position? Because I know, I know at heart you're a supreme competitor. You love the competition. You love getting up on the podium like a great, like the great competitor that you are as well. And I know that's a real motivator for you as well, because there was a Swede hunting you down. Stellan oh, wow. was his name, and it, it, it was it was 15 minutes, it was 12 minutes, and he came in behind you. He was hunting you. So how did it feel and when did you find out that you were being hunted? Yeah, and I was also aware that I was first Irish person. So I, I kind of guessed some, somewhere behind me, the likes of Brian Buckley or, or the likes of Gavin Byrne was probably trying to hunt me down as well. And I'd have been disappointed if they weren't. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so I was aware that I was out there, sitting out there as the prey for sure. And... Uh, yeah, that's an enjoyable position to be in. Uh, is is it even about... it? Like, it's interesting that you say that because some people might buckle under that pressure. Some sure. people might get stressed out about it. So it, it's great to hear that you actually enjoy it and, and embrace the yeah. Embrace yeah no, the I, love, I love racing. Absolutely love racing. And uh, yeah, I kind of had my world narrowed a bit in that and that I wasn't. I wasn't too focused on the 60th position type thing because uh, it's one of those things. I knew that once that, that I was running in a spaced out part of the race, I was doing well because it gets crowded the further back you go. And after a couple of hours, I realized there was, there was only one or two people around. And like, that's a good sign. That means I'm at towards the front. And I was checking their numbers and I was seeing I was in the sort of the, the back end elite kind of numbers as opposed to the 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 you know, some elite, which is what my number was. So I knew I was, I was racing reasonably well. Um, but I, what I was focused on was exactly that. I wanted to, if I see any old fellas, I got to stay in front of the old fellas because, you know, I want to get on that category pole, uh, podium. That was my number one aim. Um, yeah. So it's when and I got into Shampak's The first time you've been on the no, veteran, no. veterans category in UTMB in Germany. 
Yeah, no, it, I have been on the over 40s when I set my PV uh, as second and second over 40. And the last edition, I was the third over 50. So, but I went into this race and the, the ranking showed me as being the fifth ranked uh, over 50. So I knew I, I, yeah. I was going to have to work for it. And uh, the first two guys looked exceptionally good. Uh, and one of them being last year's uh, or previous edition's winner, who's just a phenomenal runner. Yeah, and he was indeed out there in first, um, way ahead. So when I got into Shampax, that was the first time I met Helen, uh, a support, and she was able to tell me I was in second. That uh, the first place guy was hours ahead, so not even think about him. That was done and dusted. He was going to win. Yeah. So he I was very strong, was wasn't he? A winning. French runner, I think. He oh really yeah, win. yeah. Again, again, same. He pretty much repeated his performance uh, from from the previous edition. Uh, phenomenally good runner. Uh, so, and that helps when you know he's that good, he's that far ahead, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so it became a race for second then. And she told me there was two guys uh, about half an hour behind me. Uh, so I knew then I had to, I had the work cut out because that's, that's close enough that it's very feasible to catch in the remaining one third of the race. So, because you never know what will happen. So that had me on my toes for sure. Um, and uh, I was told as well that Brian wasn't too too far off, you know, either. He was within certainly within half an hour, an hour or whatever at that stage. So I was well motivated leaving there for sure. And again, uh, short short uh, duration the aid station would have overtaken a few faster runners by just getting out of the aid station quicker. Uh, yeah. and, uh, away I went. But it got really interesting in terms of the competition because I actually. I had a good climb out of there. It's one of the hardest climbs up uh, the bovine climb, which comes after the descent after Champax go down for an easy descent, and then this brutally steep climb up uh, bovine, which is a real tester, especially in the middle of the day as well as then, because the heat can pile on, although there was a nice cooling breeze. Um, I did pre- I did very well in that, but then for some reason, my descent off that, uh, I just it didn't. I wasn't as mentally engaged as I could have been, and I had a relatively poor descent, and I was aware of it and got over, re-overtaken by some of the guys that had overtaken at the aid stations and so on. Um, and then by the time I arrived at the tree on the next aid station, I was feeling pretty exhausted, and that was definitely my my race low. So I spent uh, a lot longer in the tree on the aid station, I think, than any other one, just to, just to do a bit of... Uh, mental as much as physical recovery possibly because uh, I was feeling the tiredness uh, but head of the same one of the other people in the aid station said it looked like I just flicked a switch and said you know okay I'm out let's go <laughs> and I literally walked out because uh, thinking yeah it's better to be walking up the course and sitting in the aid station feeling tired which is exactly what I did then walked up the course and then got myself going on the next climb and started marching again and back on pace uh, aware to that that more than likely, I'd let the, the guys behind me get some easy closing time. And then it got really interesting coming into Valor scene, which is the uh, sort of the, the, the aid station before the last big climb, because uh, there was a, a, an Irish lad, as I was running in, an Irish lad that cheered me in and said, the, uh, the, second, the third place uh, uh, over 50 is seven minutes behind you. And there's welcome to reality there guys yeah, so uh that seven minutes is uh closed right up so then i knew yeah, it really yeah. was being nothing nothing in a race like that yeah yeah but it was a great fight in, in to see you coming in and if i can just set the scene for the listeners 
Night has just descended on Chamonix. Mont Blanc is in the background. There's some Irish scattered around town. Helen, of course, is there after running her OCC, which she did great in. Yeah. And I saw you coming from about maybe 200 meters away and your head was down. Eyes were focused. It was yeah. on the ground, looking ahead. And you had an incredible rhythm. I mean, again, after 171 kilometers, it was step by step, stride by stride. And it was all just about, I could see it in your eyes, getting yeah. to the finish line and getting that silver medal, which you did. And just maybe final question on the, on the race itself. In what goes through your, your mind when you do cross that finish line? Do, do you switch off with the exhaustion? Do you take it in? Do you see friends and family? Oh, I, just, try, oh, I try a minute. Take- yeah, I try and enjoy it. It's absolutely, that's what, you know, all the effort is to get there. So try and enjoy that moment as much as possible and make it last as long as possible is my aim. So, yeah, I'll try and soak up the, you know, whatever atmosphere is coming from the crowd, you know, and, and, and you know, give, give back as much as I can. And, you know, really appreciate everyone coming out, including yourself and cheering me in. So even though I might, I might be focused running in, but I am absolutely loving it. And uh, Great, yeah. very, very deliberately loving it at that as well. You know, and Paddy O'Leary popping out from the side as well, you know, after yeah, his race yeah. and so on. That was all great. And then getting at the finish line, you know, a quick interview with the, the Columbia uh, camera crew who were there. And that was great. And then yeah. going through to the other side and meeting the, this fantastic bunch of people who turned out to, 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 uh, to greet me in, which is a real characteristic of the week. And that, you know, any time I went to the finish line to greet an Irish person in, I, I'm, you know, there was also a few people there at, at minimum, sometimes a very large bunch there, you know, which is, it's great. It's a real good, uh, good community spirit amongst the Irish runners there. Everyone was making an effort to turn out for whoever they could to, to welcome them in. And that was fantastic. You know, so yeah. I embraced all that. And I, I knew Brian wasn't that far behind me as well. And sure enough. Only just a couple of minutes in the 50, end. It was a super real yeah, break about 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he yeah. he was undoubtedly hunting me down as well, which is great, you know. And uh, great run for him. Um, the only other thing I need to do at that stage is I'd fallen six or seven times in the race and my knee was a bloody mess. So uh, <laughs> I needed to get to the eighth station, but Brian won that race. When, when I arrived in there, <laughs> Brian was already sitting down in the, in the medical tent getting his knee seen to, which is far less spectacular looking than mine. He had a small cut. I, I'd taken half my knee off. <laughs> yeah. He won that race. Um, <laughs> but but when in, just to finish off the interview for today, and again, thank you for your time. I know you're still in recovery mode post-Chamonix. So, and again, just to acknowledge that great great performance you know it's, it's really fantastic to see and i know you're you're very good with sharing your knowledge and encouraging the next generation to come through um, and i was going to just ask you a general approach to your own training that we were discussing before the race that myself and Rene, for example on the show we talk a lot about heart rate training yeah and you yeah. mentioned that you use rpe a lot in your own training and that's a big factor in your own success and longevity as well so maybe just a final tip for the show today and maybe talk to us about rpe what it is and how you apply it to your own successful training and racing yeah it's it's not far off heart rate training in fairness rpe is rate of perceived exertion which comes down to how do you feel you know Mm -hmm. so in my case it's you know if i want to go out for a hard run 
I run hard. If it feels hard, then I've run hard. I'm not yeah. checking. I'm not checking the watch. I'm not checking timings. I never actually measure any training run. I never measure the time and distance, one or the other. But never two together because that's in my uh, world. That's paralysis by analysis. When you turn a good run into a bad run, if you perceive your run to be a good run, it's a good run. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's, sure, that's good enough. Uh, so the fundamental, you know, it's and learning to tune in to 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 know yourself what's hard and what's easy for me is key to pacing. Now, you, there's definitely uh, if you can't if you're not confident you can do it yourself, then then the heart rate monitor is a super tool to to use that because that's probably the the next best tool to have in the armory is is the an accurate heart rate monitor based on accurate. Uh, measures of your max heart rate etc and uh, to to lay out what's what's hard and easy on the basis of that but i prefer to do it by perception because that perception becomes the ability to pace in races so that, you know when you're standing at the start line you know what you should be feeling as you're running without needing a watch to tell you or a watch to beep and you know your feelings don't fail your feelings don't run out of batteries you know that's uh, <laughs> it's gonna work and it's I usually there's been studies done not to be a slave to the technology yeah. as well. It is very useful. Absolutely. It can be great to use the stats, but you have to be able to manage and understand your own body as well. Big time. And it's one of the key, I think it's one of my, uh, one of my key abilities is to be able to, to, to tune into that and to dial it in and, you know, to, use, to have the confidence to do it, not just, both in training and racing. And the other thing about training, of course, I do, I do actually, uh, keep you know the fundamental the, the major fundamentals of you know things like the 80 20 rule i'll try and, and stick to so that 80 percent of my running is run at an easy or perceived easy pace to the point that i can feel guilty that i'm just running around enjoying myself too much not actually doing hard work but of course for 80 percent of the time you shouldn't be doing hard work you should be just relaxed and uh yeah you know, doing the training. And that's that's the RPE approach in, in a nutshell. You know? And then when you run hard, if you feel if you, you run hard, if you feel you run hard, you know, you don't need the heart rate monitor to tell you that. Uh, but it's probably probably a little harder to, to to squeeze out the subtle variations between, you know, uh, tempo runs versus sprint efforts and so on. But uh, I'd, I'd be confident enough in myself that I know what I'm doing in terms of yeah. uh, doing those pacings. And certainly uh, the results seem to indicate that I'm doing okay. I do occasionally wonder uh, if I could do better with the heart rate monitors, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm actually very happy to, to, to do better with them uh, for the most part, just because it's... Um, it, it's a more self-learning sort of way of doing it. And it's a very powerful way of doing it in that case. And that builds your own confidence in your own abilities and your own perceptions, which is all it's all part of it. You know, the Absolutely. Whole and it's worked so well for you, Ina. And I've been lucky enough to see it win in Oman in the middle of a desert with with, with an Irish race director, an Irish winner, and myself there on the mic. Irish now, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I've been lucky now to see a couple of times getting on the podium in UTMB. So I look forward to seeing more successes over the years. I've no doubt that you will keep going like the great competitor that you are. So, Ian, listen, until the next time, until the next race, and until the next podium, thanks a million for joining yeah. us today. It's always a pleasure listening and hearing your voice. Thanks very much, Alan. Hey, Carrie, and bye.
great to have Ian there back with us and well done Ian on another great performance in Chamonix and indeed well done to all the Irish who did so well over in UTMB it was really great to see so many flags there being flown so proudly and a great crack between everybody as well and I was lucky enough to see some of you cross the finish line and if I didn't see you there this year well hopefully our paths will cross next time lots of results coming in as we are putting the show together over the course of the weekend well done to friend of the show Barry Minnick on a great win in the Morris Mullins Barry was in full Baywatch mode as he crossed the finish line great to see Barry going so strong again and to Becky Quinn who took the win in the ladies race as well well done to Richard Noonan and all the team for what looked like a great race and down in the kingdom it was a very fast Kerryway Ultra this year with Leanne Van Dyke from the Netherlands taking the win comfortably in the ladies race in 28 hours 28 hours and 39 minutes and John McHugh in a storming 22 hours and 25 minutes took the win in a very tight and competitive men's race so well done to John on nailing his race tactics and performance there that's a wrap for this week guys lots going on well done to everybody who has been racing isn't it great to be back and if you get a chance do pop over to Patreon Trail Running Ireland podcast to help keep the lights on in the Trail Running Ireland HQ i.e. the kids playroom until next time everybody get your running gear on let's go